Welcome to the Double V Sports Talk, Athletes Unscripted, Life Beyond the Lines, proudly presented by Vols Athletics. I'm your host, Brian Vols, alongside my brother and co-host, Matthew Vols. Today, we're thrilled to welcome a very special guest, Bryson Caps. From walk-on to team captain, Bryce's journey with the North Greenville University football team is a testament of perseverance and passion. He'll share his experience with recruiting, the realities of college football, and how the game shaped his life after hanging up his cleats. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Bryson Caps. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Really, it means a lot. Oh, absolutely, man. We're uh, we're thrilled to get to talk to you about uh, basically your experience as a college football player. You did it for for a good little bit there. You you were in the middle of your college when when COVID happened and everything else that went into it. And for those of you that are just joining us for the first time, we started this podcast as a way to help educate young athletes, especially those that are coming up in high school, to be able to learn a little bit about the process, see if they can pick up any tidbits to help them along the way in the recruiting process. Uh, A lot of people see the recruiting process as this big mystical thing. And and if you're like uh, myself or, or even Bryson, where you're the first in your family to go through it, there's not a whole lot of help out there that's actually genuine and true and and solid advice trying to figure out what to do and and how to handle it uh, appreciate you being here to to share your story Bryce, we want to get into your backstory a little bit right uh from pickens north carolina or south carolina excuse me don't want to speak ill of uh of the big blue over there uh, that's right <laughs> Grew up right down the road from Clemson University. Um, played in a was it a traditional triple option, right? It was more of a wing T, or was it was it actual triple? Oh, that was actual triple. It was actual yeah. triple. Played fullback mm-hmm. in in a triple option, which we switched a couple times. Ran double wing a little bit as well, so switched okay. it up. But um, which being a high school player in the triple option is difficult a lot of times to get recruited out, especially from the offensive side of things. Uh, I know you were also a linebacker on the defensive side, playing both ways there. But as an offensive player, it's extremely difficult to get recruited out of the triple option, not because it's not an effective offense, but it's because a lot of coaches have trouble seeing where you fit in with their offense. Now, I think it's a coach's job to be able to figure that out. And, you know, I took a lot of pride in being able to try to picture how people would fit within our defense or within our offense along the way with recruiting. But there are a lot of people that kind of just put it off to the side and don't look through that. And so I know that your recruiting process, especially because you are a little more vertically challenged (laughs) (laughs) And uh, some of your counterparts that were coming out. Um, but I've seen your high school tape many times at this point in time. You were actually, uh, you're a freshman in 18, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so you came in as a freshman my very first season at North Greenville. You were already yep. recruited there and came in as a walk-on. Um, as I came in with my first year coaching there on the D-line. And... 
tell us a little bit about that process for you, what it was like first off coming through high school, when it was that you realized that you wanted to play college football and thought you had a chance of actually doing it and, and how you chose to pursue the schools that you did pursue and ultimately land on going to North Greenville. Yeah. So, um, thanks for mentioning my height, by the way, but, uh, no, it was, um, you know, it was, it was really hard, honestly. So I really and truly always knew that I wanted to play ball in college. Um, even I would say in middle school, I was always a bigger kid when I was in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. I noticed people started to just slowly climb on past me a little bit one by one. Um, so yeah, I would say I always really knew I wanted to play college ball, but it was definitely a massive struggle. So starting out, I got some NAI looks. I remember I got my first offer my junior year from an NAI school called Union College up there in Barbersville, Kentucky. And then uh, Kentucky Christian as well offered me two NAI schools and I was a junior. And at the time I, I knew nothing about recruiting. So in my head, I'm like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to Clemson. I'm going FBS all day long, man. That's going to take off for me. But yeah, no, as you know, that did not happen. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like I was, you know, playing the triple option. I really and truly, I loved being a fullback. I loved being in that role. I love getting the ball and just barreling over people, man. Nothing was better than just going straight down my center's ass and just running at 30 yards over someone's head. So that, uh, that good old midline. Really <laughs> That's what we love, man. That, that was really, that was our bread and butter and we stuck to it. Now, um, we didn't have as much success as other teams around us, but you know what? I mean, we, we really did. I, I loved playing fullback, man. And I feel like I got washed up when we were going through the whole recruiting process as everybody was just linebacker, 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 you're a linebacker, you're going to play linebacker. And then I would go to these camps and everyone was much faster than I was. Everyone was much taller than I was, but I genuinely think that just my sheer grit and determination is the reason that I even continued. It was honestly just a pride thing. Um, it became a pride thing where I was like, I'm going to prove to everyone that I can go and play college football. And senior year, I was really expecting to get a lot more offers. Just got to walk on from you guys, got to walk on from Newberry. And um, yeah, so I had to take a massive swallow of my pride and I walked on to play Division II football. And a lot of people told me that I was absolutely crazy, but um, really, I don't regret a single second of it, man. I, I loved every second of it. I loved the grind from the bottom. I went in, as you know, I was 200 pounds soaking wet five foot 10 little boy out of Pickens. And then when I left there, I was sitting at 275 pounds and I was the strongest. I feel like I'd, I'll never be that strong again. So, uh, you know, it was, it was good. It was good. You know, I feel like almost if you were up in the Midwest, then you could have probably gone to somewhere like Wisconsin where they're running that, you know, 21 personnel with the true fullbacks back in the day. You know, I think you missed your generation by, uh, by about 20 I years. I completely agree with you. <laughs> I completely agree with you. My coaches told me the same thing as well. So, Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, funny story. We're not going to leave out names here um, to, to not embarrass anybody that may end up finding this at a later date, even though I'm not sure the person I'm going to mention knows what a podcast is or, or how to work a phone. But – when Bryson came to camp, and I wasn't there for this, um, 
actually I might have been and just don't remember it. Was it your junior year that you came to camp or your senior year? Yeah, that was my that was my junior year. Yeah, so it was the year before I got there, so I didn't get to witness this, but I've heard the story many times and it makes me smile every time. Um for some reason they they thought this fullback linebacker needed to to run routes. And <laughs> they send him on a go route. And he goes out there makes this beautiful catch and does what he does best and trucks a bystander who happened to be standing on the edge of the end zone, not paying attention. (laughs) And this bystander just also happened to be in his sixties, uncoordinated, unbalanced, um, unathletic and just completely destroyed into him. Now this individual is also one of the biggest boosters up at North Greenville, owns a car dealership up there and, and many other entities. And when Bryson hit him, $100 bills came flying out of his pockets. And all over. It was like uh, friggin' hitting a stripper just walking out of the, uh, out of the club. Just <laughs> I really and truly thought I killed him. That was... Oh my goodness! His pants <laughs> fell down all the way through his ankles. His belt was completely off, and there was hundred dollar bills all over the field. I had no idea what had just happened. I was just running, and I just hear the life come out of someone. And I looked down, and there was a there was an older man laying on the ground in front of me. And I was like, "Well, pull. of course, I hit the number one donor for the entire university. That's just my luck, as I'm trying to get recruited to go play ball at this school, man." So, God. Now, was he in your way, or did you kind of run towards his direction on accident? Right? I would say he was he was pretty in my way. I mean, it was right on the five-yard line. I was in bounds. He was standing on the field, so wouldn't necessarily say it was my fault. But uh, <laughs> hey. so whenever you hit a big booster, it's going to be your fault, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. You hit a big booster, yeah. Old Coach Farrington never let me live that down until the day I graduated. He still talked to me about that. Oh man, I'm sure this individual still flinched every time we saw you come around. <laughs> but hey, I watched him get hit on the sidelines too. And, and that's times. what I was gonna say. Like, you know, people want to blame you for it, but he got hit three times, like to the point where they had to quit telling him, like, you can't stand on the because one happened during a game, one happened during a scrimmage, and then one happened during the camp. Like, we've got three things that go on that field between practice games and scrimmages or practice games and camps. Like, that's literally the only thing that happens on that field. And you found a way to get trucked in all three of them. Like, at some point in time, you got to look yourself in the mirror. Like, maybe learn. it's me, right? <laughs> exactly. You think you would have oh. learned after the first time, but yeah. it's all right. It takes yeah. people longer sometimes. <laughs> Well, uh, so you end up walking on at North Greenville. Now, when you first came on, they had you playing middle linebacker, right? Correct. Uh, came in as a walk-on, were uh, red-shirted your freshman year, right? Correct. Down there on the practice squad, getting after it. I think uh, Trey Elder was the offense coordinator at that point, wasn't he? Yes, he uh, was. Yeah, so what was uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. Not only – what it was like getting redshirted from a practice standpoint, because I'm sure a lot of people would like to hear what it's like being a player getting redshirted and what that is like, but also how that impacted your day-to-day on campus, um, being able to you know, maybe spend a little bit more time with your academics um, or, or however it was. Um, tell us a little bit about that going into your freshman year. Maybe expectations. Yeah, so- 
Well, to be honest with you, um, I was I was really hurt about it at first um, for quite some time. It, it put me in a in a pretty bad place, and um, I'll always be honest and transparent about my freshman year of college. Um, I was not at a good place mentally. Um, I didn't feel like I was at a good place physically. I was already upset that I had walked on to a Division two school, and I thought that I could have went somewhere else bigger and played, and You'll hear about that later that I realized quickly I was, in fact, right where I needed to be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, um, no, being redshirted and now that I'm older and I've grown, especially after being able to just go through the whole process and the grind, playing five years, being able to start a few games and really enjoy my time there, um, I just really it taught me resilience and how to just put your head down and keep working even when you don't want to, man, I'd. I would go to class. I would kind of just pass by. I would go sit in my room. I'd play Fortnite. That was the thing back then. That was huge. So I was big into the Fortnite and I was just, I don't know. It was just, it was really hard for me mentally and physically. And I really leaned upon my dad. He's, he's an amazing man. He's a really good guy. And I mean, you can ask him. There were several times I'd have phone calls with him at 1130 at night. I'd say, man, I want to leave. I'm done. I, I can't stand it. And my dad actually played college ball for a year and he quit and he left um, after a year and he never got his degree. And he just always told me to just do it for him, just keep trying and keep going. And then I, I got to fall in love with the process and he was exactly right. And uh, so that's something that I had to learn. Um, I would say being redshirt, it taught me to mature way faster. It made me a much better football player because I was genuinely watching film and things like that and had a lot more time to, with you, go in the film room and watch scout breakdown. And one big thing I think from high school to college ball is I thought I knew ball. I had no clue what football even was when I was coming from that level from high school to college. You know, it's not really X's and O's when you're in high school, at least where I was at, it wasn't. It was more of a just see man, hit man, get ball and run. Um, so I would say that was much needed for me to grow as a player mentally um, because football is a game of X's and O's for sure. Um, and that first year taught me a lot about that. So I can remember on two occasions when I was in high school where we actually watched film and uh, the rest of the time. Now this is still, you know, you were fortunate enough to be able to have everything in the in huddle at that point in time. But I was in the in high school when we transitioned from VHSs to DVDs. Aging myself a little bit right there. So like if I wanted to and I remember going into my senior year preparing for High Brighton High School. Um I went in went and picked up my copy of the DVD so I could go watch High Brighton play and like put it in there and the whole time I just found myself like watching the ball and watching the plays going on. And then I was like, no, you gotta, you know what you're supposed to do. And I just stared at the DN that I was going to be seeing the whole time. And he was like five foot eight, 130 pounds. And all I could think about was, I was just gonna, I was just laughing at him the whole time. Cause I was playing right tackle at the time. And I was just like, Oh man, I'm going to dominate this dude. And I get out there and I realized that he ran like a four or five and he was out there because all of us slow assholes couldn't touch him. And <laughs> And so it was definitely a new experience. Like <laughs> once I actually started realizing like, man, what, what's the whole point of film study? Why are we doing, uh, what are we doing here and, and how are we going about it? Um, now you also, and, and a lot of people don't get this experience. There's a couple of places in D1 that do it. Most in D2 end up having this. You also had the experience of having the head coach as your position coach. Uh, sure did. 
what uh what was that like from uh you know whether a pressure standpoint or you know an overall day to day man coach Farrington he is an unbelievable man he really is he's a great guy I love that guy to death man I know I could call him any time of the night he'd sit there and talk with me um that was very nerve-wracking as a, a young man coming out of high school to college the head coach the guy who's in charge of giving me scholarship money when I wasn't getting any was my position coach I had to see every day and sit through with film and everything else. And he already knew I was slow. He already knew my weak points and he made sure to point those out several times in our film study. So, uh, no, it was, it was awesome though. I think uh, that experience is something that not a lot of people get to have. Um, I think that was one really cool thing about playing at the division two level is that I had a really close relationship with my head coach. Um, we would go to his house. He'd stayed right there off campus and his wife would make us, lunch or dinner so that was that was really cool i think to be able to experience um, but definitely nerve-wracking for sure as a freshman coming out of high school for sure i'm sure that was a a process you know i, I didn't play for the man i just worked for him and, and i still felt the pressure walking into his office you know <laughs> um so you were redshirt in 18 uh you're still you're still a linebacker in 19 correct your, your redshirt freshman year. Um, you dressed for home games. Do you play a little special teams at that point? I did. Yep. Played a little bit of special teams. Um, not much. Now I was on the on kickoff return and I was on punt as well. But that got but, you on uh, the man, bus to travel, right? That's exactly right. Those are my times to shine. And that was my way to earn my spot on the bus. So I, I took a lot of pride in that. I really did. Absolutely. So, uh, I, that was I think that's important for a lot of uh, a lot of kids to hear and and understand. Like when you come in as a freshman, as much as these guys want you to develop and to be the guy, oftentimes it's hard to give up the game reps to somebody because you know it's college football. You're in a dogfight every single week, no matter who you're playing, no matter what league you're playing in. People think D2 football is you know uh, high school on steroids, but the the conference we were in, I mean. You're you're <laughs> you're playing grown grown men every single week. You're playing guys that are going to the league, and and it's um you know it's a different animal. It's a, there's a, a a bad perception of what D two football is uh, in a lot of places, and even going there, I think there's a lot of people that don't understand that it's hard to slow down and to take the time during the season to really be able to develop. And so if you want to make the bus right if you're not in that top two on on defense or offense special teams is your way there and making the bus is half the battle like you can't you can't go in to play offense or defense if you aren't there exactly right did playing special teams and getting those reps on special teams and making the bus give you an opportunity to get any reps at linebacker during the season um, so at that time, that was kind of right after the first week was remember, I switched like kind of in the middle of the year to go play offense. And That's that right. was when I moved into that um, kind of be back role, fullback slash hybrid, whatever you wanted to call me, just yeah. do whatever you want. H-back. H-back, put me in third and short, fourth and short goal line type deal. Um, I think I got three total offensive snaps that year. Um, but you know what? It was to be a kid playing college ball was just awesome, man. Even 
just when I would go out there on punt team, I wanted to kill someone every single time I saw them. I mean, I'd run out of my way to go hit somebody because I was just so excited. I couldn't stand it. Uh, <laughs> same exact way on kickoff return. I mean, and I think, but that's really important. You got to, the moments that you're in, you got to prove that you're that guy and you can be that guy. And then it translates to other, other things on the field as well. So uh, I think that was good for the coaches to see, good for my confidence as a football player. Because I, like I mentioned previously, I didn't have that much after going D2 and getting redshirted my freshman year to just being able to earn a spot on the bus. So, yeah, special teams was very important. I played special teams my fifth year. I was on every single special team that you could have put me on, other than kickoff, of course, because uh, it wouldn't have made much sense. Yeah, that's all right. No, <laughs> still salty with you about that, but that's okay. For those of you who don't know, I was the one coaching the kickoff team at that point in time. Yeah. And uh, um, I did have you on as a backup, though. I did say that, hey, we I need you down there at the four. You know, the four was our, our headhunter. And, um, yeah, I think you were salty that I put Kwame on there that the, the very last game of uh, y'all's junior year, um, even though it was because I made a bet with him and I lost the bet. Um, I never got a single kickoff <laughs> rep in five years of college football. That's crazy to me. but It's okay. The no, one I, rep that he got, they needed. I guess they saw 300 pounds <laughs> barreling down at him. I would I would have needed to <laughs> if I saw Kwame Livingston running at me full speed from 60 yards away. Yeah, he was at the three, so he was just barreling down the numbers, and Prosser put that thing smack dab on the G, and that guy just like, nope, I'm pretty sure he took a step backwards into the end zone. <laughs> um. You know, another funny thing I have uh, while you're playing kickoff, right? You're the you're the fullback, the upback there on kickoff, right? The uh, the lead blocker going in. You have the two returners behind you, and you're the very very front line guy. Um, your rule was, you know, I know you had a, a guy most of the time, but a lot of times it was just first. Whoever comes first, right? It was the very first threat um, that that you had there, most important man, and. Uh, you had to work sky kicks quite a bit. And what did they tell you? What was your rule? If the ball comes to you, what are you supposed to do? Fair catch that thing fair every catch single it. time. Right. Or get out of the way, one of the two. Or get out of the if way. you have the chance to move, then you need to move, Caps. How, so. many, how many chances do you have to fair catch it there and actually catch one in there? I had, I had one, and I think it was on my last ever game. That was the only one I ever got that was kicked that was, to me. That was the most proud fair catch I'd ever seen before in my life. I mean, <laughs> chest up, hand up, like, ha <laughs> well, My turn year, I don't know if you remember, but I got a sky kick right to me when we were playing Delta State at home. Yeah, and you avoided and it, it, right? Well, I made an effort, and Awat was like, you got it, Caps. And that thing literally hit right behind my head and went straight over the top of my helmet. So uh, that was uh, – Farrington let me have it after that one. Well, at least it wasn't as bad as old Manny. Um, when we he got his very first opportunity on kickoff, and they, they see a big old D lineman in there, and they're like, oh, let's kick it to him. And Manny was a good athlete. Like, he had good hands. If he would have got the ball, yeah. he would have done something with it. But right. the rule is, you don't back up to catch the ball. And he started backpedaling back, and him and Steven Antley just smacked into each other, just butt to nut, and, like, the ball hits on the ground. They end up recovering it. I think it was against Florida Tech, and it was already a tight game down there. And that was, uh, that was, that was interesting. That was the game where Bird blocked the field goal and then took it back to the house. Um, yep. 
and then they turned around. I think they scored right after that. Um, end up going through that, and then we're going through spring ball. And I think we'd got about a week into spring ball, and we were actually getting ready to go on the field for practice when we get the call that everything's shut down with COVID, and we're all sent home. Right, going in. This is the the spring of your sophomore year, getting ready to go into your, um, well, getting ready to go into your redshirt sophomore season. Right. And everything gets shut down. We end up not having a season that year. We end up basically just having a full fall to practice, full spring to practice, um, as well at the end of it before being able to play in twenty one. What was it like? Being a college athlete during COVID, having to deal with everything that went along with it from finishing out a semester online to being able to come back to class to not knowing that we're going to have three semesters of practice before we get to play a game again. Yeah, it was, um, well, I think for everyone, you know, everybody just kind of feels like that whole year, two years wasn't even real, man. It was like it just kind of blew right by and then. I didn't even know what had happened, but uh, yeah, it was very frustrating because I, I feel like I had put myself in a position to get a lot more play in time. And I was the most excited I had been. I was more in love with football. I think that year than I had been in a really, really long time. And I was super stoked and ready to roll. And then found out our season got cut and all my buddies are playing down here at the Citadel or they were playing elsewhere and they were still getting able to, they were still able to play ball. So that, uh, that hurt a lot. That that really hurt me a lot, especially um, teams started to fall off. That was when Florida Tech terminated their program right in the middle of all that. So, man, then I started thinking, are we going to have to do that? Am I going to have to find somewhere else to play ball? What's going on? So it was, uh, yeah, I know it was really, really difficult, especially doing school online. I had never done that before. Like, I know that's the thing now with all these kids in high school. They're able to take some of their courses online and stuff, but I had never done that until that semester of college. So it was really hard to balance like what exactly I was doing with my school and then still being able to stay in touch with you guys with ball and stuff. So it was uh, kind of all over the place for everyone. It changed the normal. I feel like for especially college athlete, you guys during season, you guys are up to the schedule from film work to practice to games. And then 2020 hits, you can't go to class practices are different. I remember coming down and Brian's like, there's only limited people could be in the weight room the next year or like in the locker room. Only certain people could say so you have players outside of the locker room that had to wait. Oh, no, so, Matt, it was worse than that. When we first got back for that fall, the players weren't allowed in the locker room. Us as coaches had to go into the locker room and bring their equipment out to the field. And guys literally changed for practice on the field. We got women walking around. The so the women's soccer team's up on top of the visitor stands. Like, they're, they're standing up there just watching our entire team strip down butt-ass naked. Like, trying to turn, like, Pecker into the corner, trying to hide it off of the reflective bleachers. And we finally were allowed to go back into the locker room. We had to divide everybody up into an A and a B group. And you could only be in the locker room when we had a half the team in there. We had a very limited amount of people that could be in the locker room at a time. But there for a while, I think it was the entire fall ball, uh, us as coaches had to go into the locker room and grab all of the pads, all of the helmets, all of the loops, 
and bring them out to our position and put it on the field. And then people like they, they had a change on the field and then they had to change back into their street clothes on. They weren't allowed to use the showers or the facilities. So then they had to change back out of the sweaty ass clothes, put it in there. And we, I think we had the, the barrel outside so they could put all the dirty clothes yep. in. Um, and then we had to carry all their helmets and shoulder pads back in and spray it down and sanitize it. So when I first started coaching, I was coaching, um, at a high school and volunteering while I was finishing up my undergrad and I was coaching uh, football and wrestling. And at this point in time, it was still common practice where if you were close on weight, you literally stripped down to nothing and hopped on the scale for obvious reasons. They changed that because they didn't want underage boys stripping down butt ass naked in front of a bunch of coaches which makes sense to me. Like, so they've changed it to where you have to have some kind of drawers on when you weigh in. And we went from that to just saying, no, you know, it's fine. We'll just allow people to get butt ass naked on the field over there. Meanwhile, our athletic trainers getting mad at our players for wearing white spandex during the ice baths out in the yard and I'm like, yeah, because they're taking ice baths and white spandex. Yeah, things are showing. But it's okay for us to get butt-ass naked on the 20-yard line. <laughs> it was a wild time, that's for sure. And the thing is, we all still got COVID. Every single one. I feel like the whole team had COVID. So it didn't really make much of a difference, in my opinion. But that was a wild time, for sure. Our athletic trainer made it two and a half years before he finally got it. Just <laughs> somehow. Now, whose rule was it for you guys not being in the locker room? Was that like athletic director it was or the was school. this the, uh, the school? It started from the top and, you know, they had a entire um, group of people that were making all the rules when it came to the COVID protocols. They had a, um, and I can't remember what the group was called, but they brought in a bunch of individuals and they created a committee that decided all the rules within COVID um, and from admissions to athletics and everything in between. So there was like one of the rules was you couldn't have more than eight people in a room um, anywhere on campus, unless it was deemed an academic classroom. Um, and so students, so they, they finally, they finally allowed classes to come back you could have a classroom, but you couldn't have more than eight people in a room outside of the classroom. So when we did meetings, we had we couldn't do meetings with more than eight people, or at least weren't supposed to. Um, we um, don't worry. We you know kept our six feet rule in our tiny little closet. <laughs> Everybody wore masks except when they were spit, spitting into the cup. You know, <laughs> exactly right. Um, that was the other thing that that's what killed me on a plane. We went, uh, we went on a plane to, uh, to Ireland spring at 22 and masks were still required. And so everybody's wearing a mask on the plane, but then they hand out the food and everybody's got to take their mask off for 15 minutes to eat. And then everybody goes and puts it back on. Like, well, you know, the, all it takes is that 15 minutes and <laughs> everything's pointless. So a lot of questionable things that were happening during all that period. But, um, we made it to the other side. We're here now. Come back in. Now, let's talk a little bit about your time on offense. Um, you know, playing H-back, 
thinking that going into your uh, fourth year or third year uh, playing ball, fourth year at school now, you know, I don't even know what we call that, your super sophomore year, uh, <laughs> super redshirt year. Um, and I remember you were expecting to get some playing time at this point in time, correct? Correct. Right. Yeah, I was. And then just the way things played out didn't happen. Yeah, it uh, just didn't happen um, the way that we thought it would. Um, I guess the car just weren't really dealt in my favor. Um, we had some personnel go down that was vital for the packages that I was in. So, uh, yeah, it didn't really work out that much. And uh, I was super, super frustrated. I mean, Really and truly, I felt like a senior, but on the field, that was only my, like you said, redshirt, redshirt, sophomore year, whatever you want to call it. And um, so I was just pretty much playing special teams still until uh, I ran into old coach Brian Voles. Yeah, that was, uh, so I don't know if Caps knows this, but but I was actually there for um, D-line wise. We were getting pretty beat up at that point in time. and. I'm I'm not sure I had a true nose guard. If I did, I had one. And I kept bringing you up in staff meetings. And our offense coordinator was all for it at first. He's like, look, he's a great kid. He's going to work his tail off. Let's go for it. And um, the head coach was a little bit more cautious initially. And I think it was because he'd already seen you bounce from one side to the other. He knew that, you know, it's, we were in the middle of guy. That wasn't even in the fall. That was in the spring, wasn't it? We'd already. Yeah. Yeah. So we're still changing on the field. And, um, I finally just went up to him. was like, coach, I'm not going to have enough people to practice unless we get this going. And he asked me, he's like, all right, we'll go talk to him after practice today. And I remember we went up to that, the goalpost in the back where the tight ends and, I asked you if you wanted to come play D line and I'm pretty sure you're ready to strap it up right then and there and get rocking and rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was one thing about me, man. I just wanted to play. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to get on the field and play. And, uh, you took it, took the challenge and, and ran with it and came in in the spring and put on a little bit of weight. And then we went, um, to Mars Hill and you got in, playing nose guard against Mars Hill in a scrimmage. And I remember a very specific play where you slipped to the backfield and got a TFL and got fired up, got after it. <laughs> and coach Farrington came back over the headset and he's like, Oh boy, I think we found that boy's position. <laughs> and I was like, Coach, if a fullback isn't a D tackle just on offense, and I don't know what he is, and that's what Bryson Caps has been since day one. Like, I mean, you put a tank back there at linebacker and thought that he was going to be a freaking, you know, Jeep Wrangler running through there. No, nah, man, he's a hoss. Put a, put his hand in the ground. Let's go go rumble through some stuff. But um, a lot of kids nowadays have trouble adjusting to being asked to play other positions. Um, you know, whether it's a receiver asked to go play DB cause you know, maybe they can't catch or what often happens is it's really hard to recruit solid DBs that can stay in school. Um, just the nature of the position or whatever it may be, you know, I'm picking on DBs, but 
a lot of people get asked to go play other positions that they're not necessarily familiar with. And a lot of people have a lot of doubt, a lot of concern, and oftentimes don't want to do it to the point where they may even leave the school. But you went through three position changes throughout just your time in college. None of those positions you played in high school. I mean, you played a little bit of linebacker, I guess, where you started off at. But what was that like? Where did the resolve come? What gave you the confidence to say, hey, man, this is something that I can do, want to do, and, and want to be extremely successful at it? I would say it just really comes down to just really being able to believe in yourself. Um, I know that I've got a really high motor. I always did. That kind of is what made me stand out from other people where I, I may have lacked off um, athletically, agility, and pretty much anything else there was to lack off in. I lacked off in. But, man, if there was one thing about me, I was a really hard-nosed guy, and I'd, I'd give you everything I had every time that the ball was snapped on the field. So um, I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, uh, football is football, um, and I can always learn a playbook. I can always learn how to play linebacker. I can always learn how to play D-line, or I could always learn how to play tight end. So um, I just wanted to play. That was my thing. I That was why I instead of walking on to a D1 school, I walked on to a D2 to school because I saw opportunity and I knew that I could earn a chance to start and get on the field and be a ball player. So you just, just can't get comfortable. Um, you just have to be willing to adapt and move, and if you don't, then you die. Very true. And not only did you go through three positions, come on as a walk-on, but you ended up starting on the D-line, playing a significant amount of reps for your, for your last two years of playing. Um, and I know just because of how competitive you are, you know, you wish you could always have more. Um, right. But, you know, even you get tired. Um, <laughs> but um, played a very key role for us on the D-line, not only – on the field in between snaps, but also took on a big leadership role. And it seemed to me when you finally got your opportunity to get on the field, that confidence that you've always had really flourished in the locker room and gave you the confidence to lead other men because now, and I'm speculating, but it almost felt like now you can say, well, I'm doing this through example and, and be able to go through that. What was that like um, stepping into from a walk-on into now taking over the leadership of the D-line and being selected as a captain your last year and being the voice of the defense? It was, um, it was really and truly, it was an honor. Um, and like you said, I think it just all stemmed from confidence that I had in myself. Um, did not believe in myself for my first solid year, year and a half. And then, um, you know, just, just had to keep battling, man, just had to keep grinding. And then, uh, but I mean, if you, you can't just walk the walk, you know, I mean, you also have to talk the talk, believe it or not, you can't just walk the walk. So I was, I was playing ball, but I was also chatting it up with the guys in the locker room, building those relationships. And a lot of the younger kids, man, they would see my story. They would see that I came in as a walk on, like several of them did. And I would just encourage them just keep going. You're here for a reason. There's a purpose that you're here. So just whatever you do, do not give up, man. If you got to switch spots, switch spots, who cares? You're still playing ball. You're having fun flying around, getting a degree and, some of you, I mean, you're trying to get a chance. Some of these kids, man, they 
they can't afford school and they're there literally trying to fight to get an education just so they can get a scholarship to be able to continue to get schooling. And I think, I mean, my God, if that doesn't motivate you, then I don't know what else could, but uh, no, it was being able to go from being a walk-on to being a captain was, it was unbelievable really and truly. Um, and I think that it's turned me into, made me a much better man today for sure. It's taught me resilience. It's taught me just to never give up on myself and just always believe that there's better things out there for you and you can always take it up to the next level. No, absolutely. Well, it was a, a joy to watch, watch that growth and watch that change happen, uh, be a firsthand witness um, to it and also be able to be a part of it. Um, you know, you kind of look back on it, you talk about the resilience that you had and the multiple times that you looked at it and thought, man, is this really what I wanted, what I want to do? And is this the, you know, it's not the way that I thought it was going to be at the time, the transfer portal hadn't really stepped in until you found your role. Right. Um, and so you didn't really have the same opportunity to leave and I guess for others get a fresh start um, within your first two years when it would have been the easiest to do it because of the situation you were put in. How do you think the transfer portal has changed things, whether for the better or for the worse? And how do you think people and or other, other young athletes that maybe are dealing with the same things that you dealt with, how do you think they should handle that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as if it wasn't hard enough to get recruited when I was in high school, going through the whole process, um, I genuinely think that now with the portal being so open and kids are able to, a lot more people are in it. I mean, the highest number that we've ever seen, correct, was my senior year of college, right? It's increased every single year since then. Wow, that's wild to me, but. Yeah, I mean, you got these kids coming out. I, I feel like it causes a lot of kids that are in high school to be overlooked because why would you go take a shot on a young kid that's a freshman and when you got somebody right down the road at a different school that's already been through the process, he understands the grind of college ball and you're taking a shot in the dark on some kid that might come in and flunk out after a semester. So um, I think it definitely makes things a lot harder for these kids nowadays coming up. Um, it but- is the hardest that it's ever been to be recruited out of high school right now. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, man, you just gotta, just gotta put your head down and gotta work. I mean, you gotta do some things on your own. You can't just expect things to come fall in your lap. You're not just going to start popping off offers your junior year, your senior year. Like sometimes you're going to have to swallow your pride. You might have to go walk on somewhere and you might have to just climb the ladder. It sucks. It really does suck, but sometimes you just got to do it, man. So if you, if you have dreams and you have ambitions and goals to go play college football, doesn't matter if you get a scholarship or not, if you have the opportunity, then you still have the opportunity to go and do it. So go do it. um, But yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely makes it a lot harder on these kids. And I I do think that some things need to change. Um, I'm sure the NCAA, they, they've got a really hard job, man. I mean, a lot of people don't talk about that enough, but there's, there's a lot of stuff going on with NIL and everything else. And as if their job isn't hard enough, it just, I think it just seemingly just gets harder and harder every single year as college ball progresses and NIL gets bigger and social media gets bigger. I mean, everything has an effect on it. So it's, it's interesting to see what's going to happen, especially in these next few three to four years, I think will be very interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a I had a question <clears throat> about the transfer portal, and you were starting to go there, and I'm going to stay away from NIL because I really don't have an issue right now. I know me and Brian's mentioned it, I think, on the podcast about the transfer portal and what we thought and our ideas of maybe the transfer portal. We were talking about like how this year was the most athletes ever transferred. We talked about maybe they need to put a you can I think we mentioned Brian Ferrari, like you can transfer twice unless there's something that comes up from like coaches changing from you going to the school and then the head coaches get fired or something moving. What do you do you do you have something on your mind like you that from a college player that was playing during this transfer portal starting to take off that maybe that you see that should be a effect or a change that should be coming or should happen? No, I like what you said about the maybe – I think there does need to be a cap. There needs to be a limit on how many times someone can transfer for sure. Um, if not, then I think a lot of these kids – and, again, I think this stems from social media and kids getting overhyped through recruiting and these agencies and everything else and all the videos you see on social media. These kids, a lot of times, they think they're a lot better than what they actually are. And so they'll just keep bouncing around and bouncing around, and then things just – they never work out and they never grow into a really solid football player. So like I've said five times already, I think it's just about being able to swallow your pride and become a man and turn into a really good ball player instead of just, Oh my gosh, I hate where I'm at right now. I'm leaving onto the next place. Cause if you do that, then you'll never go to the NFL. That's for sure. You'll never go play ball anywhere else. Cause you won't step on the field. And then one day you'll go into a job when you're an adult and you'll try and do the same thing in that role and you'll just be miserable and you'll never be able to find fulfillment in yourself. So I think, I think it definitely needs to be capped for sure. 100%. I think twice would be a okay. It's, it's turned into the free, like a one-year contract, right? Like of just, well, I'm going to go here for a year, then try this and then try that. Especially when you get into these bigger levels of ball where you've got these $500,000 million NIL deals and it's become a, well, who can give me the most money next year? And then all of a sudden, well, you can give me another million. Okay. Well, let me go here. Oh, you can give me another, let me go here. And so you're seeing just constantly go through <clears throat> and you're not seeing what you said. You're not seeing the resiliency being built. You're not seeing people being challenged. And on top of that, you're seeing coaches that are taking a step back from being the teachers that coaches are called to be and to just being short-term managers to make sure that they're keeping people as happy as possible. But keeping people happy as possible doesn't always help somebody grow. And... I heard um, Kobe Bryant talking about it at one point in time where he was talking how you've got to have somebody around you that's willing to tell you that you're not being your best because that's the only way you become better. Because if people are around you all the time telling you how good you are and just boosting you up, you don't grow from that. You You can't... You can't grow from that. And so those that truly love you will challenge you. And we're not seeing that anymore because we've lost the ability in our youth to be resilient because we've given them 
a, a scapegoat in a way to run away from the problems opposed to looking it in the eye and facing it. Now, what Matt was talking about before, what my thought is, and I'll see what your thought is, I think, you know, before, even if you transferred, there were still rules on where you could transfer and everything. My thought is, as an undergrad, you get one free transfer, and then you get another free transfer as a grad. So if you graduate with your undergrad and you want to go to grad school somewhere else because you know there's a thousand because you're, you're starting new right then you get a free transfer then so you get those two free free transfers but then i also think that you have an extenuating circumstance transfer that is granted to you if a head coach leaves or a coordinator leaves or something to that extent something you know whether or maybe even a life uh, uh something happens maybe you know, maybe you're about to become a father. You know, whatever it may be, an extenuating circumstance transfer. And so that's kind of how I see it. I think, because I'm all about, I don't want people to be stuck somewhere that they don't want to be. But at the same time, I don't want it to be something where people just bounce around. Because you can't build a program like that. Um, if you're just, you know, you've got players that are going into their seventh year on their fifth team. And... So that's my thought, is that you get one free undergrad transfer, you get a grad school transfer, and you get extenuating circumstance transfers. And so if you're at a school and the head coach leaves and you transfer somewhere, you get another transfer. And then if you go to that school and the head coach leaves, well, you, now everybody gets another free transfer. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts. What are, what are your thoughts on, on something like that? No, yeah, I think if a head coach leaves, then – no doubt you should be able to leave. I mean, that's that's like the main reason you go to school is to play for that guy because he's the leader and you like his leadership and you want to learn from him. So I do think that's really important. Uh, if coach leaves, yeah, totally, absolutely. And I like what you said twice. I think that's good. One, one year undergrad year and then one for your grad year. Um, I think grad year is really important. There's a lot of guys that go and heck, my roommate, man, he was a Division three guy, played at Birmingham Southern, never had a scholarship in his life, and then he came down here to the Citadel and got a full scholarship, got a free master's degree, and then now he's getting a chance to maybe go play at the next level. So I, I think that year especially is very, very important for a lot of these guys. I mean, some kids don't really fully develop and mature into the best player that they can be until 22, 23 years old even sometimes, so – yeah, no, I, I like exactly what you said. I think that's good. And on the other flip side, you also had roommates while you were doing your undergrad that started at D1 schools and transferred to D2 for another opportunity to play. I can think of at least two, three. You had three roommates, right? Yep. 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 All three of my roommates were <laughs> Division One transfers, one from University of North Carolina and then two from PC. One from PC and one from Charleston, Charleston Southern. Southern. Yeah. And then Ohio University. I had four. Oh, four he lived with you as all, well. Yeah. Yeah, there was four Division One. They were all D1 transfers that came down to D2 to play ball. So, And they had a great yeah. opportunity to play a lot and, and were all ex extremely good players in their own right and uh, did a phenomenal job there. And I know – I don't know where one is, but I know three of them are extremely successful now. Um, and, you know – I know two are chasing their dream. I'm the former quarterback. I, I last I heard he was he was doing really well. I haven't talked to him in quite some time. 
Um, he is, yeah. He's coaching up in the upstate, man. He's he's good. a good guy for sure. All of those guys. I'm glad to hear it. I made some really good relationships at North Greenville. I did. Those guys were awesome guys. They taught me a lot about ball. Going from they were a lot older than me, and then I got the opportunity to live with them. So they taught me a lot about football. So that was really cool. Good. Well, let's build off of that, and uh, you know now now that you've been out for a little bit, right? You got that diploma, got that degree, which you know that was a big win. I know we uh, had some battles going through, um, and and like most people in, you know, I was in the same boat you were coming up through. It had nothing to do with ability and everything to do with drive, um, in a lot of areas. But man, about the same time you started playing your grades took a took a nice upswing there too it was kind of like everything all hit at once uh it's amazing what a little motivation does and uh you know some you know i i call it getting some wins right you you got some wins in in an area of your life that was important to you and then all of a sudden everything else just started clicking and falling into place but you finished you got your degree and then you went on to uh get a job pretty much Immediately, you didn't have a very long turnaround there. Uh, now you've been in the workforce for a little bit. You're on your second company since graduating, or do you have yep, another short term? Second. Um, yep, second rule. So, what are some things that you think playing college football specifically did to help get you where you are now in the workforce and prepare you for quote unquote real life and dealing with it, and possibly even give you an edge? over your average typical student yeah no um mindset is the first thing i think of um for instance when i graduated i took a job as a supervisor down here on kiowa island working with the recreation department i was there for in that role for three months and then i got promoted to a lead supervisor um i think that translates and correlates exactly stems just from football i mean i I was in a lower role and then made it to be a captain my senior year. And then I came into the workforce and, you know, a lot of people, they're just not mentalities, very different between someone who just went to college and got a degree and they might be book smart. And then you have your athlete who thinks about things just a little bit differently. Um, and you know, it is, it's a dog eat dog world, man. Um, the workforce is, it's brutal. You got to always have your head on a swivel and you got to just be ready to eat. And when the opportunity presents itself, just jump on it full speed and run with it. So, uh, yeah, I think that that stemmed directly from football for me is just being able to have that mentality of, hey, man, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, So I think that kind of makes athletes stand out for sure. And it looks phenomenal on a resume. I mean, it it really does. The job I'm in now, I have no business being there whatsoever. (laughs) Absolutely no business. But I think uh, just my mentality and um really just knowing that at the end of the day man it's up to me if the harder i work then the more results that i'll see from it so i think just being able to be just a mental champion is the big 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 difference in athletes versus you know some normal people who came out of college and started in the workforce no absolutely that's awesome to hear um so then the the last kind of question i got for you is if if you were to have a conversation with yourself back into your junior year, or if you know that there's a junior sophomore in high school now who ends up finding this video and listening to it, what's something you would tell them 
to prepare for for what's to come especially if they were in the same situation you are um, not really getting recruited by those they were hoping and not getting the opportunities that they had dreamed of since they were five six years old and things just look a little differently than they had planned and hoped for what's something that you would tell them now I would tell them to just really trust their dream and visualize their dream. And when they go to bed every single night, tell themselves exactly where they want to be in the next four to five years. I think that is something that I regret that I did not do specifically because I, like I said, man, I was, I was down bad when I I went to that division two level and I, I was just, I was upset about it. I was, and I thought I was better than that. And Really and truly, I needed to be at the Division II level. I learned a lot of great things from playing college ball, and I was able to get a degree out of it. So just it's it's completely up to you. That's all there is to it. Once you're able to have that mental flip and that switch to where you realize, hey, man, this is – it's all on my plate. No matter what mom does, no matter what dad does, like at some point, it's it's all about you and what you do. So I would say just – just keep on dreaming, man, and keep telling yourself that you can do the things that you really aspire to be. Awesome. Well, Bryson, it's been a pleasure to have you. Uh, I've enjoyed our conversation. We'll definitely have to, to get on the link sometime uh, again soon. And, yeah, man, let's and, do uh, it. Play a little whack fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... <Love that. laughs> um, but we are, we are extremely grateful for our guest, Bryson Caps, and, and wish you all the best in your new career and uh, and the rest of your endeavors in life. Uh, as for Double V Sports Talk, once again, this is our conclusion of Season 2, or sorry, Season 3, Episode 1. You can catch this coming out every other Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's on Spotify, Our Heart Radio, Apple Radio, or the many other platforms that are out there. I encourage you to tune in, listen, follow, and subscribe, and look forward to our next guest coming up uh, next week or the week after is actually one of your former teammates in Chauncey Haney. Hey, that's a great guy, man. Everybody tune into that one. You're not going to want to miss Chauncey (laughs) Haney, that's for sure. So excited about that. Once again, we're the Double V Sports Talk Athletes Unscripted, Life Beyond the Lines, sponsored by Vols Athletics. We appreciate you tuning in. Until next time.